invite you to enter this portal of strange and unimaginable. I simply ask that you suspend your judgment and expand your mind in the vastness of the unknown. Come witness the wonder that is our reality. The truth is out there, and so am I. Wife of a Demon Hunter, extraordinary tales of all things paranormal. Hello, my name is Dorinda Stewart, and I am the Wife of a Demon Hunter. My guest today has a master's degree in social work, a doctorate in clinical psychology, has worked as a forensic psychologist for over 10 years. She has spent several years specializing in assessment and treatment of trauma and traumatic grief. She is the author of two books, The Shadow of Embrace, which is, a, which is considered a mystery ghost story, and Dragon Sleep, which is a fantasy with a serial killer twist. You can find her books on Amazon under MJ Simon. Welcome, Dr. Melinda Simon. Hello, Melinda. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Dorinda. It's, I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, well, I'm, fun. I'm glad you're here. This will be fun to talk about. Because, you know, you and I have had some experiences, and you've known Joe for quite a long time. So, you know, some, some pretty crazy stuff, which we're going to talk about. <clears throat> so, my, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so now, my question to you is, how does a clinical psychologist get into writing books about the paranormal and ghost hunts? Gosh, I think it, 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 it's, it's, in a way it's kind of a mystery to me because I feel like I have always been interested in it. So long before I was a psychologist, I, as a little kid, I loved watching Dark Shadows, which, you know, anybody over um, under 60 probably doesn't know what that is. But it was a, a, a daytime um gothic kind of melodrama soap opera right and kids we loved it we all loved it yeah (laughs) vampires and i loved that stuff and gravitated toward it from a very young age i mean i cannot remember not gravitating toward it uh and i also i think you know um the very first house I remember living in, uh, we moved to Nashville, Michigan, if anybody knows where that is, in uh, 1966, and I was four years old, and we lived in a house right downtown for the first two years uh, that we lived in Nashville, and that house was definitely haunted. Um, I remember experiences in that house, shadowy figures, sounds. Um, I didn't really know what they were, but uh, they kind of scared me. Um, I have brothers who are twins and 12 years older than I am, so they were 16 years old when they moved to that house. And my brother Jim has all kinds of memories of cupboard doors opening and closing on their own, the back door um, off the kitchen opening and, and banging shut, and him thinking, you know, somebody was home, but nobody was, and water turning on and off, and the lights flickering on and off, um, footsteps on the stairs, all kinds of things like that. So so both of us, you know, we've over the years talked a lot about it, and I think that was probably my first real exposure, and, and then that was my interest. And then I just happened to kind of go into psychology, and that is because I'm a very nosy person. <laughs> I, I really... I really am fascinated by human behavior and have always been and have always really enjoyed people and been interested in 
their experiences, their history, um, how they how they deal with life. And so that's why I went into my profession. But then in my profession, I ran into a, a lot of people who experienced hauntings and um, other kind of unexplainable things or unexplained things in their lives. So that just kept piquing my interest all along. Well, that's really nice that you kind of, um, you know, uh, listen to their story because, you know, I, I know probably in the past, some people have talked about that, the, the, the psychology or the medical professions, they don't really um, approach that uh, paranormal twist on things. They don't, they, you know, if it, if it's not scientific, they don't want to, they don't want to deal with it. So it's great that you, um, you know, give people some credence to that because I think sometimes people just want their stories heard no matter how, you know, crazy it may seem. Right. And often people will, you know, come into my office and they'll come for a different reason and we will, you know, do our work together. And, and in that work, we build a rapport and they feel, they begin to feel safe enough, comfortable enough and trust me enough to, to share things like, like that, that they've never shared with anybody. I discover that people have never told another living soul that right. they saw a ghost and, and then they, they will tell me and then the next thing out of their mouth is you're not going to lock me up are you oh goodness yeah yeah and and it's like oh my they've carried that with them since they were 16 years old or something you know since whenever they had the experience and and um you know so i i assure them that i'm not that they're not crazy that these these kinds of things are well documented and happen to and happen to well over half the population sure uh, on a kind of regular basis well so, yeah you 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 and joe are in a in a position to know that <laughs> right. better than i do right um, and one of the first things people say is that you know nobody will listen to them and they can't get and even the church which you know um because you know we do you know the ghost and we do the demonic yes. but they contact the church and um you know the catholics you know have um the you know the exorcism and that and they uh, you know they're supposed to be helping people do those things and half the time they don't even help you know so it's like they referred us yeah. they referred to uh, Joe and I um, we had a client that yeah. called <laughs> and they said that yeah the that you know the Detroit diocese gave us your number we're like oh okay <laughs> okay so there you yeah. go so yeah it so it just feels like yeah they're they're either afraid of it or intimidated intimidated by it or they think it's it's just a problem they want to pass on to someone sure. else i mean that's what that feels like to right me. they can't and, handle it and i think they yeah. i think they are afraid of it because even with joe's book joe makes a comment about it's the um scariest book that nobody will ever read because they're too you know they start it and then they get scared and they don't finish it it's like it's crazy yeah. it's like it's crazy and it's like we we live it so you know why yeah so yeah so Tell us about the ghostly incidences that are happening in your current house, Melinda. Well, um, it's, it seems to have died down quite a bit over the last several years. But I, in fact, met Joe the very first time in 2005 when um, things had began happening in our house. We moved in in 2002, and there was nothing that that was going on but then in 05 we started to renovate and so we were putting in hardwood floors we were um 
you know, redoing bathrooms. We, we were, you know, we redid the kitchen, you know, so we tore the house up basically. And it was um, right about mid-renovation that things started to happen. We would hear footsteps on the stairs and walking down the hallway. We would, I, I, and the oddest thing is I have a little bookcase that's right in the foyer kind of of our house, right in the entryway. And I would get up in the morning and go out there and books would be on the floor instead of in the bookcase and my husband said well probably the cats are doing it I'm like well, why would the cats suddenly do that plus i have so many books they're crammed in really tight right so it, it, it would be very hard for, for the cat to pull well cats do have shelf. mad skills but i don't know if they can do that so. <laughs> they, they do but, and, or the books would be pulled out and kind of set on their corner like someone pulled it out just enough to read the title on the oh, cover mm-hmm. uh, or look at the cover. And then it would just sit there like that. Um, and then it started happening in, you know, in another room where we had tall book cases and it would, you know, be on like the tallest shelf of the bookcase. The books would be pulled out like that and just sort of sitting out. And um, so that kind of thing was happening. I had my sister came and spent a weekend with us. And on uh, Sunday morning, we were sitting having breakfast and she said, who was up playing pool last night? (laughs) I got up and I thought, I got to pick up a glass of water and use the bathroom. And I heard I heard pool balls clanking and like somebody breaking down in the, in the basement where we have a pool table. And she said, I looked down there and she said, I didn't go down the stairs, but she said, it looked dark. I thought, who's playing pool in the dark at 2 a.m.? <laughs> and, and I said, well, it wasn't us. And, <laughs> and, um, and then we, you know, didn't think too much of it. But then on a number of occasions, I heard it. And on a few occasions, my husband heard it. And then my brother Jim came and stayed a week with us one summer and, or that, that summer. And, and again, the morning after his first night there, he said, well, I had an interesting experience. I woke up in the night hearing pool balls clicking. And I thought, wow, Brian's up playing pool. I'm going to join him. So he, <laughs> he said, but it was dark and I came downstairs and he said, and there was the, the pool table was, you know, clear and it had no balls on it. And, wow. um, you know, and I thought you guys must be in bed. And so I just went back to bed. So that was an interesting thing that, you know, was validated by a couple of different people. Sure. Um, we were, we would hear loud, like, we had a lot of, my husband is Mr. Social, so we would have these big parties and tons of people over and um, we would all be in our lower level in the basement and and playing pool and shuffleboard and talking and music was on, loud, you know, it was, it, it was not our youth, but we were younger than we are now. <laughs> you were partying. <laughs> That's right. Yes, just, we were partying. At any age, you could party, just party, yeah. <laughs> and, and at midnight or so, we would hear this, we heard this huge crash upstairs. And it sounded like, um, I mean, I have a big hutch up there filled with china. It sounded like somebody had knocked the hutch onto the floor, like they had just tipped it over and it just crashed. And all of us heard it. And all of us as a group went running upstairs. I thought of the old Scooby-Doo. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all of us got trooping up the stairs. And nothing was out of place. 
nothing had wow. happened. That happened on four different occasions when we had uh, like 30 people in our basement this playing is... loudly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so that was, that had many witnesses. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think. Well, we you, had, you had uh, mentioned something about, because I've heard the story. I've been to your house, but I've heard the story yes. about the black uh, toilet. So tell us a little oh, bit about yes. that. <laughs> that was part of the renovations. Now, okay. my, my husband um, has, he, he doesn't say much on the subject now, but he has always, prior, he said, I just think it's got a logical explanation. And I said, well, what is it? And he said, I don't know, but it's got, there's got to be one. And um, Now, one your husband day, is a psychologist too, right? Yes, he is. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I just want to. I just want to let people know exactly what he does too. Yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and he's one of the ones you referred to earlier. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And um, I will. I will. To tell this story, I have to go back a little bit. The the reason I called Joe in the first place was because things started to escalate in our house. We would hear more noises, and then one day. One night, uh, we were watching television, and we heard this strange vibration. And it was, we're in the basement, it was coming from behind us, and we um, muted the TV, and we're walking around the basement trying to figure out where is the sound coming from. Mm -hmm. And we go over by the pool table, and we hear it kind of on on the this interior wall, which is on the far side of the pool table. And then suddenly... A pool cue comes flying off the wall, flies about six feet through the air, and lands at our feet. And it had come right out of the, you know, right out of the rack on that wall. And that was what made me uh, start doing some research, finding Joe, and then calling him. And so Joe came over, investigated that, did some, and took some uh, EVPs, electric electronic voice phenomena, and. Um, he was. He went home after he collected all of his data and, and toured the house and got my stories. He went home and um, transcribed the, the the EVPs. And he called that night. That was, you know, 2005. We had a landline and no cell phones. So he <laughs> called. Right. My husband answered. My it's husband old answered school. the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He, he answered. My husband answered the phone and. He says, oh, yeah, Joe, I heard that you came here today. Thanks for doing that. And and then he was silent. And I'm looking at his face, and I'm watching the color drain from my husband's face. Oh my and he just mutely handed the phone to me, and I took it. And, and, and Joe said, he said, well, I told your husband, but he didn't respond. He said, I just wanted some verification. I got this very strange but very clear EVP. That said, whatever happened to the black toilet? <laughs> and I said, oh. He said, does that mean anything to you? And I said, actually, it does. I said, when we were doing our renovations, our uh, my husband's buddy was doing them. He's a carpenter. We were standing in the downstairs bathroom, which is right off of our storage room. And we were discussing. My husband wanted to put up... 
Um, he wanted to put gargoyles in the bathroom and he wanted to make it kind of medieval looking. And so I said, I think if you're going to do that, we should get rid of this white toilet and, and put in a black one. It just would be more in keeping with the medieval sure. nature of things. And, and both Roy, the carpenter friend and Bri talked me out of it because, you know, toilets are expensive and this one's <laughs> fine, blah, blah, blah. So I said, okay. And so that was all we said about that. And then here comes the CDP, whatever happened to the black toilet. And uh-huh. so this was a problem for my husband. He could not explain this away right. any more than he could explain away the pool cue flying through the air and right. landing at his feet. And I laughed because I got a perverse joy out of that. <laughs> right. But that's that story. <laughs> and now you do have a black toilet down there. And now we have a black toilet. <laughs> That's right. Because I've been know, in that the bathroom. Ghost and I agree. Let's <laughs> do it. <laughs> That's a great story. Now, as a psychologist, why do you think people who have had hauntings in their childhood, like you have, end up in a haunted house? And well, that you know, I actually, yeah, I, I actually had never really thought about it, but, um, but you know, back when I met. Joe, and he was getting some history from me, and I told him about the first house that I had lived in, um, and then I talked, you know, this house that he was clearly, he got many EVPs and had, um, he had a lot of data to back him up in this house, uh, and there was this house, and then as I thought about it, there was another house that I had um, that I lived in in the, in the early 90s that had strange phenomena occurring shadow figures the lights going on and off um the the bathroom the bathroom toilet i what is it with toilets i don't know but it was (laughs) flush on its own (laughs) (laughs) and so things happened in that house too so i i was telling joe and he said why do you think that is he said do you think that um that you're you're destined to live in haunted houses and I said well I'd never thought of it before but but maybe so after he said that I started thinking about it and then you and I had to talk about it and I started thinking more about it and I thought you know in people gravitate toward the familiar Mm -hmm. you know we whatever we had in childhood that's why you know it's kind of a cliche but people really do gravitate toward um, partners that have some things in common with their parents and um, you know people cringe at that but it's true yeah. and it's it's basically that we just gravitate toward what we know and I thought you know if the houses I lived in as a child were haunted they have a strange energy sure. that actually is is kind of a familiar energy to mm-hmm. me and so I think that when I go through a house that I'm thinking about buying, you know, a house that somebody else might feel creeped out by because of the strange energy they pick up, I feel at home. And and I think that, you know, it, it seems, it does seem common because after Joe said that, I, I realized that, you know, a lot of my clients who will talk about experiences they've had we'll talk about experiences from childhood as well. And, um, and here they are in another setting that, that seems to have these unexplainable events going on. Um, so either it's that it's everywhere and we're more sensitive or it's not everywhere 
what we gravitate toward where it is, if that makes sense. Right. And the comfort of it. There's some comfort to it, I think. I don't know. Right. I mean. Because it's familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, like that energy, it feels, you know, if it feels common or, you know, like you said, it. The comfort of it is is kind of interesting how that works. Maybe we should do a research book on that, Melinda. That, <laughs> why why yeah, why that, that why a haunted house? Yeah. <laughs> why are you there? Um, so it, so as you know, Joe and I have been into paranormal for for years now. Um, you know, we we do our ghost rescues and our demon hunts. We are always running into people who have had you know experiences as child children, um, and a lot of them do. Um, you've done some ghost hunts um, and um, with Joe, including the famous haunted house in Joe's book, Demons, A Secular Look. So what was that like when you were at that famous haunted house? <laughs> oh, that was really interesting yeah. um, and quite scary for me. But it, it was fascinating. My, I took my, my niece went with me because she, like me, is very interested in the paranormal and... Um, Gosh, I think she's she's because my siblings are so much older than I am. She she's only about ten years younger than I am, so sure. we're more we're more like peers than than aunt and niece. And so we went together, and we were going to spend the night, which we did. And um, let's see the things that happened. Well, the first thing, both my niece and I are are uh, true animal lovers and animal rescuers and activists and things. And, and so we just love animals. And there was a big German shepherd that lived at that house. And we were supposed to sleep upstairs in one of the bedrooms that night. And we were trying to get the dog to come upstairs and sleep with us in our room. And the owner of the house said, she won't do it. She won't go upstairs. And I said, well, maybe she will if we, you know, ask her sure. nicely. Ask, he, yeah. said, he, he said, well, you can try, but it'll be interesting to see what she does. And so we tried to, and, you know, she was all over us when we were downstairs. She was very happy. She loved my niece. She was just walking around, you know, following her everywhere. We walked to the stairs, and she put on the brakes. That mm. dog would not budge. All the, all the fur on her back was just standing on end um and she would not come upstairs and she barked we went upstairs we got up to the first landing and she was barking furiously like she did not want us up there we would come down she would stop barking she would relax we'd go back up she would bark furiously she never did come upstairs so <laughs> we went upstairs and we, we were a, a bit unsettled yeah <laughs> that was kind that. of a warning like what the dog won't go <laughs> yeah. i mean they roll it they roll into they roll in dead things and now they're not going to go upstairs it's like That's what the right. heck now we're not go upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so that was one very clear thing that happened um other things were you know i don't know if i want to say they were more subtle or but i remember them feeling this oppressive kind of weight it just the the air in the place felt heavy and i have felt that in my own house but not to that degree my own house just tends to feel like i'm not i'm not alone and if i tell it to back off then i feel alone and i don't feel it but sometimes i can feel it like you know, kind of the hairs on the nape of my neck stand up. Well, that was a constant in that house. And um, Joe took us downstairs. It was one of the 
places on the uh, one of the stops on the Underground Railroad, and so they had uh, a hidden cellar beneath the the floor where they used to hide um, slaves mm-hmm. slaves who were who were seeking freedom, and and that that atmosphere down there, I felt like I couldn't breathe, and my legs felt like jelly. Wow, and that was the experience I had down there. And, uh, and Joe got several EVPs, I think down there that were very clear. Um, and so there, there were those experiences. Then another experience that I just had, you know, we're sleeping on in sleeping bags on air mattresses upstairs in this room. And, um, there was a walk-in closet that really creeped me out and you you had to go through the walk-in closet to get to the bathroom i think and you know it was an old farmhouse right right. that that chopped up floor plan and i shut that door because i didn't like it open i said i don't know why but i just don't like that door open it just creeps me out and there's and it and it felt that oppressive feeling when i would go into that closet was there and so I shut the door and went to sleep and I woke up and I, I, I couldn't didn't know what woke me but it was about you know an hour or so later woke up wide awake and that door was wide open and so I hollered downstairs to Joe because yeah. <laughs> I'm Where panicking <laughs> and he comes upstairs and I said did you shut that door and he said yes you shut that door and and he said, I'll shut it this time. And he shut it, and he went downstairs. A couple hours later, I woke up. That darn door was wide open again. Gosh, and it, so things like that. Um, another another psychologist who was a friend of mine that I worked with was across the hall uh, on his air mattress. And in the middle of the night, he <laughs> I woke up, rolled over, and he was... He was in our room <laughs> with his air mattress next to mine. He was scared. <laughs> he was very scared because he had had too many. He said things were bumping and thumping all over the place. He felt breath in his ear. He It was mm. just, and he saw shadows flickering on the walls, and um, they they weren't normal. And so so those were our, it was basically our experience well, you know, it's funny. Um, I, you know, Joe and I are new. We've been together about six years. So, you know, this happened before Joe and I met. But Joe took me to this house. But what was really funny is the owners would not show me the house. They kept me in a certain area and that's it. Because Joe did tell them that, you know, I was psychic and that I, you know, that I worked with the demonic and all that stuff. But I found that really right. interesting because we had um, like a year later or so, or, or, you know, a few months later, we were having dinner you know, out in a restaurant with the mm-hmm. owners and, um, they were saying, well, you know, the house, you know, the upstairs, blah, blah, blah. And I go, no, you didn't show me the house. And they're like, what? We didn't show you the house. I mean, they literally had cardboard in the, the fireplace so that I couldn't see into the other room. It was so weird. <laughs> it's just so wow. weird. They didn't want me and to they- see what was going on. Like, well, you know, whatever was there, didn't want me to discover that they were yeah. there, I guess. So I thought that was and really interesting. And they didn't even remember. They didn't even remember that they, that they had, had done that. So that's yeah. interesting. That was interesting. Well, they, I remember that, yeah, the man in that house was quite ill. I yes, mean, it was yes. almost like the house was making him sick. Right. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. And, um, and you know, they, they, uh, um, they were going to have a seance, um, this, this last Christmas and, you know, they wanted Joe to come and, you know, bring the usual suspects that he usually br brings, um, to the, the thing. And, and they go, well, you know, I'm not in contact with them, but you know, Dorinda, you know, I'll, I'll bring Dorinda. And then they just, they said that they weren't going to have the, the, that he had yeah. to miraculously work or something. It's like, it's so weird that they wouldn't let me in the house. So, I mean, I was in just a certain area. So, but you know, um, you, had mentioned um in your bio that you know you get scared and you run out of the room and all that stuff we've we've you've experienced me you know i'd run away too <laughs> so it's like uh, i'm like this, this it creeps me out sometimes so um the yeah. fact that we continue to um do this makes us either brave or demented i'm not sure but <laughs> so, yeah maybe a little of each, <laughs> I, I think we have to have a little bit of <laughs> both but melinda and the demon world um we ran it we run into a lot of people with mental disorders and yeah. i feel that the demonic doesn't cause their disorder but exasperates the disorder what is your thoughts on that you know i i do i am not as qualified to talk about this as my husband would be because his his career um was at community mental health the main part of his career and he worked with persistently s serious persistent mental um illness okay. so he worked with a lot of schizophrenia bipolar uh with psychosis those kinds of things i have not had that much experience with it though i have certainly had some um my my thought on that is you know we still don't understand schizophrenia sure. really much at all and it it just it, it feels to me like well yeah certainly having a mental illness is going to make you more vulnerable right to to um you know your your boundaries just aren't as solid they're you're you're just yeah you're just more vulnerable you're more you know just like schizophrenic people or or uh, mentally ill people are more vulnerable to being robbed they're more vulnerable to to criminals and and you know a anybody who wants to exploit them uh, mm -hmm. and so i think demons like to exploit so sure. they're going to move right in yeah. there's also something that you know i i i don't know but it seems interesting that all the work done in mental health um and this area of mental health serious persistent mental illness is this just big question mark so sometimes i really think you know goodness um people who are psychically gifted hear voices Mm -hmm. can ha it can have clear sentience and have clear well you know you're, you're well aware of that yeah all the clairs yes yeah <laughs> all the clairs and and I think you know how much of this is that the membrane between the living and the dead is so uh, thin right. for some people that that they just they experience things from other dimensions that we kind of naturally filter out. And um, it's almost like if you think about someone with attention deficit disorder um, or someone with hearing loss, someone with a hearing aid sits in a loud restaurant. They can't hear what you're saying, but they can hear 
the cacophony of noise all around them. Mm-hmm. They can hear, you know, somebody breaking a dish in the grill room, but they can't hear your voice. Well, a schizophrenic is, it can't hear you on the outside because the voices in their head are so loud. Right. And, and I have certainly had people that I consider psychic as opposed to mentally ill. Right. Um, who, who hear voices. The difference for me is that they are able to compartmentalize it. They're able to be more in charge of it so that they don't have the vulnerability. You know, they're, they're better organized in their minds and they can say, look, you know, I, I have office hours. Right. <laughs> the dead right. can talk to me right. <laughs> between exactly. two and four. And <laughs> I know. Not right. before and not after. <laughs> right. Exactly. Don't call me and, on my phone and, at home. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. And, and there has been, there has been some limited success with um, certain certain mental illness, certain schizophrenic disorders that where people can become better organized and in fact, um, tell their voices to hush up until it's time. And, and that, then I think, are they psychic or are they psychotic or are they psychic? Right. Right. Well, it's a fine line, I think. (laughs) Cause I I mean, sometimes, you know, like I have to, I have to learn to, I had to learn to, um, you know, close it off because, you know, you walk right. into a crowd and then you can almost hear, you know, it's, it's almost like you can hear the distress of people. They're, they're oh, going yeah. and doing their shopping, but, you know, like re- meeting, reading their minds of certain things. So I always, you know, I, I always try to, you know, when I go into a yeah. situation, I don't always, I close it off. And, and, and create. some people, you know, when they're, you know, cause w- w- they feel that they're psychic, they have to help others and all this stuff, which is a great thing. But I always say, close it off. But I said, yes. if something, if something important is, needs to be heard or it'll come through, it does, you know what I mean? It's like, if something is really, yeah. the message really has to be given, it'll nag at you to give it. So, you know, just yeah. kind of keep it. Yeah. Protect yourself. Exactly. And that's the thing, you know, protect yourself. I always kind of uh, talk about when you're in an airplane, you know, how when the oxygen mask comes down, they always say, put it on yourself first, you know, and then help others. And that's kind of how it is. You have to help yourself first and then help others. But we're, we're taught that, you know, that's kind of selfish that we should help others first, put others ahead of us. And and I'll just put in, especially women. (laughs) <laughs> yes, exactly. Especially women are taught to do that. Yeah. And, and yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, in our, um, in our work, you know, we, we explain to clients that they're part of the solution. Okay. In the demonic world, people will call us for our expertise. We give them instructions on their part to help get rid of the demonic. They refuse indirectly, which is interesting. Um, we tell them that they are part of the solution involving the demonic oppression and we give them instructions to follow and they fail to do so, to do what we ask and then tell us that it didn't work. So in other words, they call for our expertise, but refuse to comply with the expertise. Now, granted, the demonic may play a role in some of this, but there are some who constantly sabotage their recovery. Why do they display this victim mentality when it comes to helping themselves? Well, um, when you when you first said, you know, they ask for your help and then they won't take it, I thought, welcome to my job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's certainly not across the board because I have loved my work. And for the most part, my clients come in and they 
they are, are ready and willing to collaborate in their own healing. But sometimes they'll come in and want, you know, want you to do it all. They'll mm-hmm. be like, can't you give me a pill? Can't you just take care of this you know some of that's just human nature it's like sure. ah, you know it's like it's like i don't want to exercise can't you just um give me something that will make me lose weight i mean right you know, that none of, of us like homework is, right we don't want to take care of work right? we don't want homework <laughs> so that's a piece of it but i also you know for some folks there is as you kind of called it the, the victim mentality there and and that i'll go back to what kind of gravitating towards a familiar, you know, a lot of folks who have a very hard time uh, accepting help and tend to sabotage themselves and sabotage their own uh, mental and emotional and physical health is because it seems at any rate, because they've never really known safety. Mm-hmm. They've grown up in an environment where there has been exploitation, abuse, uh, poverty, um, distress. For It's just always been that way. There's always been a fire raging. And they don't know. It, it, it's alien. Something sure. that's calm and good and feels right and and um, and isn't harmful is it's strange and so they tend to they tend to sabotage it they tend to go back and yeah and do things that that will enmesh them even more in their problem as i said in, in my field that that wasn't i didn't see very many people like that but a lot of that too, as I think about it, was because they would fire me on the second or third session. <laughs> but that happens with anyone, though. It doesn't. I mean, any. I mean, you know, it's like it has nothing to yeah. do with um, your skill set. It has to do with their mindset. You know, it's, so it's because I'm introducing something that will that is cha- about change. Sure. And change is scary. And, or you've you know, uncovered I mean, things they, that you know that they did they kept hidden they didn't want anyone to know about maybe you know like the right. the lie right. or something things I don't know I, I mean yep, you know, things, I, I'm not qualified to say but yeah but you oh you, you're making a lot of sense yeah things they wouldn't want someone to know about or things that they don't want to know about themselves but the problem is those things that they they may not quite remember or don't want to revisit are playing havoc in their lives. Uh, anyway and the best way to get those things to not play havoc in your life is to shine a light on them face them dissect them and and manage them take care of it and um, have a lot of compassion for yourself while you're doing it and the same I would think would apply in your area of expertise with people who call for help I mean I would guess they're quite desperate right right Right. And they are they are living in in a world of terror and confusion and 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 stress. Hmm. And would you so call it post traumatic stress, Melinda? Would you think that they would? Have... I think it's I think it's ongoing traumatic stress. Okay, because it's still going on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, post traumatic stress um, definitely it it makes 
it makes you afraid of everything. You know, I mean, you're, you're hypervigilant and you have a high startle response and you just want to crawl in a hole. Uh And, and so shining a light on it, um, is, it's just counterintuitive, you know, (laughs) even though it's the thing that's going to help. And so, yeah, but I think, yeah, I, I actually, I hope I'm, I'm going to digress for a minute and say something about the psychic thing that I just kind of thought of too. I've, I've been thinking of it in the past, but I forgot to say it. Um, I think a lot of the clients, because I treat post-traumatic stress is, is my, um, is, is my main area of expertise mm-hmm. and traumatic grief. So when I see people, they have just been through something horrendous typically mm-hmm. or they've gone through a whole childhood of, of horrendous things and they they have this in common they have a heightened sensitivity uh-huh. to their environment to everything i mean that i you know i i would my office is you know is quiet and there's a nice plush carpeting outside <laughs> my office door and yet people who have been trauma say a a, a woman who has been a, a long-standing victim of domestic violence say um she could hear someone walking past my office door wow mm-hmm. and i i wouldn't hear it it's you know it's it's plush carpet who could hear that she right. can hear it and <laughs> right. and she can hear it because that's it's a sign of, of potential danger. And I think that also many people who that I have encountered with serious post-traumatic stress disorder have seemed to develop uh, a psychic sensibility. Uh, and, yeah. I and, mean, that would be a, yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, you're constantly, you know, um, yeah. I mean, because you know, yeah. like it's like a survival thing, you know. So it's you yes, know, you're it like heightened survival is. mode, yep. and you know. So they become empaths. So they know what you're feeling. They know any shift in in the in, in the facial muscles. <laughs> yeah. Any minor shift, they immediately sense it, see it, and respond to it. Uh. And and then more than that, they s- seem to to know things that are better. They seem to develop a sixth sense or maybe already have one. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Well, Melinda, you've worked with some serial killers in your career, which I find really (laughs) fascinating. So do you think, um, the demonic is similar to a serial killer? I mean, the demonic have certain traits like seduction, mastery, power, understands the human nature. Um, so would you relate those traits to a serial killer? I, I would, um, absolutely. The, the thing I used to do, um, I did very little profiling. I did some profiling when I did, um, when I worked, did forensic work, but most of my work was doing pre-sentence psych evaluations on, so on, on people who had committed murder or some other violent crime, um, rape or assault and they had already been convicted so they'd been tried and convicted and then they came to me in shackles an armed (laughs) guard on either side and we would do an interview followed by a whole battery of 
tests because they had a right to be evaluated um, to see if they could be, you know, for my opinion on how rehabilitatable they were. Okay. Well, unfortunately, I didn't meet one that I considered rehabilitatable. Not these people. Um, well, a serial killer means several, <laughs> several, right. they've killed several. Right. So they uh, killed at I think, least three. Yeah. I think and, if you, if you've killed more than like, you know, let's say three yeah. people, maybe you shouldn't be out. Yeah, I don't that, know. That's kind of what I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> Yeah. My rule of thumb is once you've cut someone up and put them in the trunk of your car, yeah. uh, you shouldn't trust that person. Yeah, they, they kind of planned they that would, out, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they, would, they would come into my office, and because they had nothing else to lose now, you know, mm. they knew they were going to be, they, they knew they were going away for a very long time. Right. And, I, and they would just brag about... <sighs> about their crimes mm -hmm. and I would look in their eyes and they were just, it just looked like they were dead. Like there was no conscience in there at wow. all. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it, it was just, they, they def and they definitely, they groomed their victims often. They, uh, they were very manipulative. They were, uh, a few of them were very good looking. They were very smart. Um, they don't, you don't have to be good looking and smart to be um, a killer, but to be a serial killer, you, you right. sometimes do. Well, you have to have the game, it, it, I would it, say. Like the game, you have yeah, to have game, game of some sort. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Yes. And you have to be kind of good at it. Right. So, right. And they, and they were, they were, they were absolute, they had no conscience there. Wow. They were psychopaths, sociopaths. And, um, and usually they start, you know, the history was what everybody seems to know now from all the television and stuff that you start out killing animals and you move up the food chain to people. Um, and, and they just don't have any sense of, you know, there have been studies done on on uh, brain functioning and what parts of uh, imaging, brain imaging lights up when this person watches another person be uh, have pain inflicted on them. Mm. And and that that particular empathy button in their brain does not it's the amygdala. It does not even light up on serial killers or. Mm or those people that I was working with or evaluating. And the same when Joe and you talk about the demons. And as I read the book, uh, it's like, yeah. These and you are, read the whole so, book, right, Melinda? Are, you read the whole I book. I read the whole book, yes. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they, these, these feel like sociopaths to me. They are absolutely planful. They are uh, manipulative. They are premeditated. And they are incredibly dangerous and that's why i encouraged people to read the book and and said so in my forward because forewarned is forearmed right and and you ought to have an idea what to what to do if something like this shows up somewhere in your world and um because it's it's just it's it's pretty darned alarming and yeah the book was scary to read but again <laughs> shine a light on it and right read it exactly yeah. you should yeah <laughs> it's like, scary to read how about experiencing it that's a, that's, that's right. the scary part too <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> but I, I, I think I'm numb. I think there's, is there some kind of a, a valuation for me, Melinda? Cause now I feel like I'm, I'm jaded or something. Cause it's like, well, my main thing is that I don't think about it. I don't dwell on it. I just kind of let it go. But <laughs> I just like, people go, well, how can you do that? I'm like, well, it's not something I want to do just, every day, but <laughs> you're just like a homicide detective. Yeah. There you go. You have to just kind of, like, I mean, I really do feel like that. Yeah. And in that respect, you're like a homicide detective is not a victim personality and is not a, I mean, they don't tend to, and I've known a lot of them. They don't tend to be um, vulnerable because, but they also don't tend to dwell on it. Right. They, they have, they're well honed and they have their barriers up and so they're you know they're one of the hunters and they take their precautions and that's the way i see you and joe you 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 are the hunters and you take your precautions so that you don't become hunted right and that's and that that is that that's pretty darned impressive actually you know that i i have watched that and yeah when you said you run away too it's like yeah the thing you ran away from uh i would have left the country (laughs) i I was there and i didn't see it right felt it and my little k was it little k2 thing that little meter yeah was um, it a k2 or was it a i can't remember i we had the it was a thing that all the little buttons yeah 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 the k2 yeah they were going nuts and just an just two seconds before they were doing nothing yes yes. yeah and and, then they puffed up on me and i'm like okay (laughs) yeah and and that just was like wow that um there was a lot of i thought there's a lot of of evidence going on right at all at once right now a lot of i'm witnessing a whole lot of things that are objective right now and um well, see, a lot of it has to do when um, when they realize that I know. So yes. when they realize that I know, because you know most people go through and they're like usually they, they they count on people being afraid, and then all of a sudden I know, and then it comes into yeah. my I either speak it or I or if I you know find find out their yeah. name or something, then they freak out. They go mad. They yeah. go crazy. And then, yeah. then it's like they they have this need to put you down. Yeah, they're out. like, okay, we got to get her out because she's just trouble. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it's it's just like if you know, if you're a serial killer and there's somebody, um, you know, like Silence of the Lambs in your basement, you're not going to let the cop in, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. God. Yeah. You're going to let the little. Old they kind of look for that kind of thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Looking for that. <laughs> all right. Well. Okay. Enough talk of demons and ghosts and all that. Let's talk about your book. I mentioned that you had two in the beginning, but you are working on a third book. That will be coming out this I fall am. called De- Deadly yes. Echoes. So tell us about yes. that. Well, it's um, it's a, I've been working on, I have done so many revisions, I can't even count them now. But my editor says she thinks this might be the last one. And so that's why I'm hoping for fall for, for a publication. But it is... Um, it's, it's interesting in that it is a book that is about a psychologist who treats uh, trauma and traumatic grief. So there's a little autobiograph- autobiographical thing there, but um, she's not me. She's a lot younger and taller, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but she, she treats a, a young woman for... Uh, post-traumatic stress after the young woman was assaulted and 
then the young woman goes out into the world and very sadly gets murdered by a serial killer. And the psychologist, after this murder happens, suddenly finds her apartment haunted. And she thinks, oh, this must be my client trying to tell me something. But then a a lot of other strange kind of ghostly things happen that she can't, she can't connect with her client and she doesn't understand them and she's having a lot of flashbacks that she doesn't understand a lot of things that don't make sense and so she delves into the history and there's some reincarnation in it and there's there's a dual plot line with a reporter trying to solve a series of serial killing the serial murders in the in 1899 that's going along at the same time and have somebody in the afterlife who's got to help and all that and it, it basically stemmed from one one conversation i had with a friend about reincarnation one day huh. i just said what do you think about reincarnation do you think it's real and she said if it is I, I don't I don't really like that. And I said, why not? And she said, come back and do this all over again. Life is hard. Yeah. <laughs> she said, if they want, she said, when I die, if they want me to come back, they're going to have to catch me first. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's cute. Yeah. That, just, that just spun a whole story for me. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's good. That's great. So how can we um, find the your books, Melinda? Repeat uh, it the again. books are on Amazon, and they're um, they're under the name MJ Simon. Okay, so you can find them there. And the first the first two are the published ones, and um, Shadows Embrace is is again they are it, 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 that one's a ghost story and a mystery, and and it's just and there's a little romance in it. It's just sort of a fun light read, I would say. Uh, Dragon Sleep is it, it kind of marries the. Um, the my forensic background with the serial killer to more of my inner child that uh likes you know giant talking rabbits and enchanted forests and fairy tales and things like that so i so the book combines those things and um i have a friend who read it and she says oh it's interesting it's beatrix potter meets hannibal lecter hey there (laughs) you go that's pretty much what it is (laughs) Perfect. <laughs> yeah, there's an alternate reality and and um, talking mice and and a guy that likes to kill people. So wow. <laughs> very wholesome. No, I'm just... <laughs> yes, right. Yes, Norman Rockwell all the way. Yes, Norman Rockwell. <laughs> well, well, I I look forward to the release of your new book this fall. Melinda, I want to thank you for sharing your time with me today. It was it was such a pleasure. I enjoy talking to you all the time. So, oh, um, thank you so much. Well, it was very fun, and I love talking with you. Oh, I could great. talk to you all day long, which oh. is a problem, right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to do lunch. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> all right. Well, this is Dorinda Stewart, and I am the wife of a demon hunter. Till next time. <laughs>